Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. This is the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. So the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joining me today, oh, I'm Jeremiah Shan. Uh, joining me today is Tim Foss and Beth Mantle of Sounder at Heart. How are you doing, guys? Gal? Good. Doing all right. Warm, uh, but good. Warm, but good. Yeah, you are you are summer styling right now, Tim. People can't see this on the radio, on the podcast, but you got you got the flower shirt buttoned down to your belly button. It's a good look. Uh, not not quite. Just, <laughs> just above my belly button. Okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, well, uh, Sounders are are heading into the international break. They are five zero and three. That's five wins, no losses, and three ties, 18 points through eight games, uh, plus 11 goal difference, sitting at the top of the supporter shield. I mean, it's all rainbows and unicorns, right, guys? Those are yeah. all good, good things. The numbers are good. Yeah. If yeah. you look at it as a whole, there's nothing to be mad about. So just, just stay above it. Right. Just look well, at it from the top. It's good there. Let's start with the big picture stuff, and then we can get into maybe the smaller picture stuff. But big picture, I think you would you. I wrote this in a column that will probably come out by the time you read this, but has not published yet. That you would, if you had told any Sounders fan, anyone involved in the Sounders, you'll go into the international break five zero and three. I can't tell you anything else about how you got there. Would you take it? And I think anyone would say unequivocally yes. Like there's no scenario in which you wouldn't absolutely take this. And I think you got to look at the if you look at it as on the on the aggregate, you know they. I know you know that you would call their record at home disappointing. They're three zero and two at home. That's a pace of about two point two points per game, give or take. That's about their. I think that's about their historic level with Brian Schmetzer. And then on the road, they've been even better. They're they're two zero and one on the road. Uh, that's probably not sustainable long term, but it doesn't need to be sustainable. And you, I mean, they could they could fall off the pace a lot from two points a game, better than two points a game, and and still be you know contending for a supporter shield. I, I think you even you look around the team a little bit. The defense I think has been far above any reasonable expectation. The trio of center back, I think the trio that we've seen those last four games, I want to say, of Ariaga, Jay Margomas, Andrade, and Nuhu is like an almost perfect combination of, of speed, athleticism, uh, soccer smarts. And they're both, and they all actually have the ability to break lines either through passing or dribbling. I think that's a pretty, pretty lethal combination of, of center backs. Uh, I think. You look at defensively, Alex Roldan, every bit you would have hoped for. I think he's giving us plenty going forward. Brad Smith has been a bit of a more of a roller coaster ride, I think. There's been games where he has been 
in some ways the Sounders' most important player. There's been a few other games where he has been maybe their worst player. Uh, I don't want to beat that up too badly, but I mean, he, he probably cost the Sounders two points in against Atlanta. Uh, he had the penalty and then he had, uh, he had some missed passes that would have been, that would have been nice. Uh, he was not as bad. I didn't think against Austin, but he again, missed a couple open passes that could have uh, changed the game quite a bit. Um, and then I think the attack is a little bit more of a, like, I think the midfield has been good. Roldan's been great. Gio Paolo, I think, has been absolutely stellar. Kellen Rowe has been up and down, I think. Uh, and the attack, Raul Rui Diz has been great. I, I don't know that you can say anyone in in just purely attacking-wise has been great, other than, you know, like I said, Brad Smith has three goals. That's more than you would have expected. But, you know, Roldan in, in some ways has been way beyond our expectations, but I think in other ways he hasn't been as productive offensively as as you would like from – uh, your most advanced midfielder. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are, those, those are kind of the big picture. Do you guys have anything to add in on any of those, any, any re- refutations of what I, what I cast out there? I mean, I think, I think you're, you're on the right page there. Yeah. I think it, it holds up that if you compare the record to this point, both in terms of wins and losses and goal difference, like there's not a part of the team that's been bad. Yeah. And, you know, to go with that, there's not any particular player that you would pick out as like, oh, they've definitively been the worst person on the field. Or under underachieved for what you would have expected, I think, at the very least. Yeah, I think, you know, you're, the issues are, I think, largely stemming from effectively the absence of, Nico Ladero that yeah you know Christian Roldan has done really well filling in for Nico at a position that is not his best position then like Kellen Rowe has been pretty good at certain points but also like you know maybe some of his down games we wouldn't have seen if Nico Ladero was available and he was playing just slightly less regularly or being asked to do a little bit less when he comes in. Um, And similarly, I think, you know, if Ladero's around, the forwards are getting just a little bit better passes and maybe we have a few more goals, but as it is, they don't have Nico Ladero and they still are undefeated on top of the supporter shield race. And with, I think the best goal difference in the league. So by far the best goal difference in the league, uh, plus 11. I don't know that anyone else is better than plus five or six. So it's, I mean, the, the raw numbers, I think, are impossible to argue with. They they have been, you know, to your point, I, I think, you know, if you had, like, let's just say Kellen Rowe, if you had told me that he was going to start, what, six games, five games, and he was going to be, you know, a cent, he was going to be your central midfielder in, in – most of those, I think you'd probably be a little worried about the results. Like it's not that he's a bad player, but he's just not a, I don't think he's someone that you, you expect to hold down the midfield. And so he's been put into a role that I think is probably not his, like his best role is that he is really competent at playing a bunch of positions and he's been really competent. He hasn't stood out. I don't think necessarily like his first game. I thought he was really good against the galaxy, but other than that, I don't know that he's had a, a standout performance, but he's also played, Actually, I think he's got six starts. Um, 
you know, he he's played a lot more than I think we would have ever expected. So yeah, I mean, he, as your 15th or 16th best player, I think he's far exceeded that, you know, that level. Right. Totally. Uh, yeah. With Nico on the pitch, there's, you don't need Kellen road to do anything right. more than be competent. Um, and I also think like everyone says, Nico, he makes everyone around him better. And I do think that's some of what the team is lacking is just like that little final push of Nico making everyone just look great. Um, like everyone's doing their jobs individually, like pretty well, like no one's been super terrible. Um, but like, it's just that last little bit that I think we're missing and hopefully Nico can come back and bring it for us. Yeah. They, you know, they, what, what Garth has called, I think in the past, like a force multiplier and like, they don't, they don't really have that right now. They don't, they have a bunch of players who are doing well, but no one who's th- there to push them up to that next elite level. And Unfortunately, this was, you know, a big and I, I maybe this is what's casting a pall a little bit over the results that came this last weekend, because I'll be honest, I was a little taken aback at how mad online sounders for were after a zero like a frustrating, admittedly zero zero tie against Austin FC. But there was literally someone telling me it was the worst they'd ever seen the sounders look or the most disappointed they'd ever been in, in the sounders. And I I don't even have a way of con contextualizing that because it's such an insane out of this mind kind of way of assessing what we saw. Uh, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I need to really address how outrageous that is, but I don't even think it's the most disappointing result of the last five months, uh, let alone the last ever. <laughs> I mean, it depends if you think that the 2020 season ended after beating Minnesota or if there was right. after that. I subscribe to the theory that the season ended after we beat Minnesota. So maybe it is our most disappointing game in the last five months. Yeah. And I don't want to presuppose, I maybe, I I don't know what this person's watched. So maybe they haven't witnessed all these other bad performances and they've been really lucky and they've only seen the Sounders looking great. But I was, I was a little surprised at how, how mad people were about the Austin result and how much frustration there was, you know, the Sounder at heart, uh, game thread we had to like we don't do a lot of moderation in there usually because we kind of let people vent and apparently we had to do a fair amount of moderation because people were getting like out of control like mad and and kind of and you know not i don't know it's just it was a little a little taken aback by that and i i do wonder if part of it is is the realization on friday uh brian schmetzer announced that both steph fry and nico ladero were going to be out for an in undetermined amount of time uh best we can tell that's probably like three to six months for Steph Fry. And we really, we don't know how long it means for Nico Ladero. He did say that they were planning to have both players back this year, but that's a, that's a big window. Uh, That could be five months. That could be six months. That could be, you know, uh, we are, you know, MLS cup is, is a long way off. So I I suppose there's a a lot of potential openings in there, but I, I can understand how that gives people a little bit more trepidation about every lost point is is one that you probably are going to miss at the end like that you're really going to regret dropping four points against austin and atlanta uh, a, a side note i was kind of found this a curious stat the centers dropped more points in their last two home games than they had lost in their than they had dropped in their previous 12 combined uh they're still writing a 14 game uh mls un, home unbeaten streak uh but they had gone 11 0 and 1 in the previous 12 and so maybe that's another reason that people had just kind of come to expect 
they got so used to watching the Sounders win at home uh, and not seeing them win twice in a row was, was hard to take. Uh, digging into this Austin game though, let's start with the positives. The defense was exemplary. Uh, they really didn't give Austin anything knew who had a blocked shot. Steph Cleveland made one say one big, you know, like you don't necessarily expect him to make sort of save. Uh, and other than that, Austin was, was doing nothing offensively. They, you know, they had a little bit of the ball for something like 45% of the ball. Uh, but almost all their shots were from outside the penalty area. None of them really caused much trouble. And I think it was another example of this defense is, I think, working better than anyone really could have imagined. Yeah, from from my seat in the stadium, I there was never really a time when I was super concerned about Austin scoring. Like, they would get into our end, and I would be like, hmm, maybe don't score here. And then they didn't, which was great. I loved <laughs> that they were listening to me. But I was never really, like, super concerned about it. Maybe that's because I didn't have a very good line of sight, or I don't know. But I think you're right. Yeah, it was never it was never very threatening. I think the most threatening thing was whether they were going to dive headfirst into the ground after someone got near them. Um, that could have been dangerous. That happened a lot. Really I was did. expecting more diving into people's hands sort of like Cecilio Dominguez did to Javi to draw the yellow, but- <laughs> So frustrating. It really was- He tried like, to do it again. He tried to pull that off twice. That was remarkable. It was actually when like a kid gets in trouble for hitting another kid and they're like, no, he ran his face into my hand. Right. And apparently that's a yellow card. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, Austin really, I think- to a degree what I had gleaned from reading about them and watching highlights and stuff before the game kind of bore out. They are pretty good at passing. They're not super great at a whole lot else. Like they Brad rings good. I think Brad, Brad ring. I thought had some moments where he was, I could see why they were so willing to part with a big chunk of allocation money to get him. Sure. But I, I, don't think they, you know, the duels were pretty lopsided in Sounders' favor. Maybe the most, that might be the most lopsided, in fact. Um, yeah, that was, that was pretty comical. I think something like 52 to 36 or 56 to 32 or something like that. The yeah. Sounders won like over 60% of the duels. Um, but I, you know, yeah, the Sounders really made it hard for them to do anything, whether that was playing through the midfield or generating anything once they got beyond the midfield. Um, I wasn't super focused on the possession stats, although it was nice for the Sounders to win that component of the game, but it was really nice. I feel like, you know, in previous games, the possession has not been something that the Sounders focused on, but they also just weren't passing super well. And that was reflected in the passing accuracy and the passing was so much better in this game, which I think was partially just the Sounders doing a better job, but also Austin just isn't super good at breaking up passing sequences. Um, So, you know, seeing improvements in certain areas, even if there weren't goals that came from it, um, knowing that they're going to be without Nicoladero does make that question of being able to score goals when the issue seemingly is the 
final ball into the area. Um, but I think still lots to like about this team, even after two consecutive home draws. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm personally ready to throw in the towel on the season yet. I think it would be a little <laughs> bit early for that. It might be. It might be a little early for that. I would agree with you there. That's a, that's a good, that's a good shout. Uh, it's it, I, I, yeah. And I guess while we're talking about positives, I, I think that the, it wasn't just the possession number that was better. It was, it was the pass completion uh, number. I, I, this may have actually been the first time they were over 80% completion, which um, might be more says more about how, They've not necessarily completed. Oh no, I guess they they had eighty four percent in the Galaxy game, but uh, they. I mean, it was their. I'm sure it was their their highest completion percentage game of the year, and and they just looked like they were connecting better. I thought Roe looked more comfortable uh, with his. You know, he looked more comfortable on the ball in this game than he had in previous games. He's, you know, he's not like uh, Matt Doyle. Uh, MLS analyst uh, had a stat that he shared that I thought was kind of interesting about central mid or like kind of like six and eights that had the lowest percentage of duels one. And, uh, and Kellen Rowe, I think is, you know, in that bottom 10 and that's about where I would expect. Like it's, it's a lot of guys who are probably a little out of, you know, who are there not necessarily for their ball winning ability and they're there for, some other aspect of their game. And Roe is just not a ball. He's not a, he, he, I, I will give him this. He gets into a lot more duels than I w- would have guessed. He, uh, he's willing to put him out, put himself out there. He's, you know, he's pressuring the ball a lot more than I would have expected, but he's not, he's not someone who's gonna, you know, he's a, he's a step down in that way from Josh Atencio. And I, I feel like I've, I've become like a huge Josh Atencio fan ever since he stopped playing. <laughs> Like I was a big, I was a big Josh Atencio fan when he was playing, but I feel like my, my, like I've, I've like now talked myself into thinking that if they can just get him back, they don't need Nico Ladero, uh, which is probably overstating things, but I've, I've really talked his importance up in my mind a lot. Who needs uh, a young DP when you have Josh Atencio? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought the Sounders just looked like they had a little bit more of an idea. I, I thought it was an interesting thing that the Sounders, one of the things that the Sounders got accused of in this game was just being too predictable. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily see that, you know, I, I think what Austin did a really good job of doing is not letting the Sounders get into transition as much as they have in the past, but for all the chance, for all the transition that they didn't get, you know, the Sounders had a disallowed goal, which was the right call. I think we can, you know, I, I don't think we need to spend too much. It was, it was a frustrating call. It was frustrating the way it played out. I think they did a really bad job of explaining it. They didn't explain it in the stadium. Oh, I had no they, idea what was going on. I don't think even in the press box, we they they usually announce in the press box what's happening and they didn't announce it this time. So it was a more confusing situation and we were left to kind of guess as to what happened. And in case you still don't know, uh, Raul Rui Diaz essentially started the play offside, never got him, never reestablished himself in an onside position. And even though he didn't touch the ball, and the replays seem to show that he did not touch the ball, that it actually came off a defender. That doesn't really matter because he was involved in the play. And as long as he's involved in the play, he needs to be, he, he's potentially an offside player. And so that's, that's where all the confusion came from. 
Uh, they did not explain any of that in the stadium. That needs, I think that that stuff needs to get fixed. But point being, the centers generated that chance. It was close to being a goal. It wasn't a goal. They had the the ball to that Freddie gave to Rui Diaz in front of goal. That I swear, nine times out of ten, he's at least going to get a shot on frame, and probably seven out of ten, that's a goal uh, if he if he gets it on frame. And he just kind of whiffed on it. That was, you know, there was that chance. And then there was a couple other chances where Smith was in on goal and he just needed to kind of lead Rui Diaz a little bit and he put it behind him. And those are probably situations right there. So it's like you, you, the Sounders win that game 1-0, 2-0. I don't think we're stressing about how out of ideas they were. And there were one or two goals out there for them to get is my point. And, you know, I, so I thought in a lot of ways, the Sounders offense was, was fine. It wasn't great necessarily, uh, but it was, you know, it was a it was a frustrating game, and I guess on the on the that transitions us a little bit into the negative part of this game, which is, you know, they scored one goal in two games against two defenses that aren't bad. But I I will say that I think people are overstating how bad they were. Austin is on a one point per game run on the road. If they do that all year, they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, Atlanta is actually, you know, like they, they blew a 2-0 lead at home against Nashville this last weekend, but they've been, I think, better than a lot of fans wanted to give, a lot of Sounders fans wanted to give them credit for. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Sounders aren't generating as many chances as I'd like right now. Yeah, I think we've kind of talked about it some, you know, after last week's game, I think, and maybe some before that, but they they've been getting into good positions without necessarily turning those moments into actual chances. Like they don't lead to a shot or the, they do lead to a shot, but it's weirdly bad. Um, I think it's, it's so hard to look at any of it and not think of like, Oh, well, what if Nicola Dara was there? But I think particularly the last two games, you know, Christian Roldan has had, good moments playing as that pseudo 10 central winger, whatever, where, you know, particularly against Atlanta, he had a couple plays where he got around the corner on a defender in the right side, right-hand side of the box and makes a great play that just doesn't turn into a goal. And he absolutely can do that, but, I think particularly these two games, the Sounder really Sounders really needed someone who could pick out the pass to put Raul or Freddie or Will in on goal. And, you know, Freddie managed to have a handful of those passes last night, but they they really need someone who can do that with two forwards in the box. Like that's the whole point of having two forwards. And Christian, I might be his biggest fan and he like that is not something currently in his toolbox with any particular consistency like he's not a string puller right and they have you know they have guys who can maybe pull it out of their hat once in a blue moon i think joao paulo can absolutely do that but that's not necessarily what his strength is and I don't know who they have on the bench who can do that. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't think there's a string puller on the bench either. 
So maybe, I mean, if Nico's not going to be available for a while, maybe that does change some of what their aims are with the coming transfer window. Like maybe finding that Nico replacement moves a couple notches higher on the priority list. Um, but I think, I think that's what's most concerning for me is that there is a clear hole and no person to sort of fill that gap on the current roster without, you know, then not having a, another forward on the bench because you played Freddie, Will, and Raul all at the same time and Freddie is playing as a 10. Um, yeah, I think I, – I do wonder if that's something that we'll see. You know, we're not going to – see it for a while and i think that maybe that's another area of frustration is that rui diaz there's a good chance rui diaz is gone until mid-july uh depending on what happens with peru and the copa america and so he could miss six or seven games i maybe even more than that but i think it's six or seven at least and and so i think in that time we will probably see a lot more of the formation that we saw this last game which was essentially a three four two one with uh two nominal you know attacking midfielders uh, in this case it was christian roldan and uh and freddie montero but i w- wonder if down the stretch again assuming ladero isn't back for that stretch run if it's worth trying the 352 with montero as the 10 and bruin and Mont- and uh, rui diaz as the two forwards or conversely if like I know this is one of the ideas that's been floated around a lot is like has have teams just kind of figured out how to defend the 352 and that the Sounders early success was mostly due to catching opponents by surprise and that you know their relative lack of success in the last two games has been the book is sort of out on how to stop the Sounders or is that reading too much into two results I think I would put the onus on the Sounders for performing a little bit better and putting that last pass and putting the ball in the back of the net. I I think it would be more on them than on other teams, just being that much better than we are. Like, I don't think I'm ready to say that we've, we've dropped down a level with our like performance. I just, I think there's a little bit lacking and that's on us to, and on the coaching staff and on the players to figure out. It's not on me personally, because I I can't do anything about it. Sorry, everyone. No, uh, Beth, that's a, uh, yeah, let's like not rely on on podcasters to fix all the Sounders problems. I don't know. Beth not running Sounders Twitter has meant that there haven't been any prayer circles. Oh, maybe and that's the problem. If, yeah, that one, that one oh, might be no. on me. If we I were realize. summoning spirits to give us goals, oh. then maybe we would have goals. I have. Just, I missed, I missed I, the very obvious connection. I've been yeah. running Sounder Heart. Tw- oh my God. I've missed a, I've been running Sounder Heart Twitter the last two games, and that is probably why they've been so bad. This really? is all Jeremiah's fault. This is the same as like the women's sports conundrum that women's sports don't get coverage because they're just not asking for coverage. Similarly, the Sounders aren't scoring goals because we haven't personally asked for them. That is Um, a... Man, how did I not put this together? I can't believe I've not been openly accused of dropping the ball on the squares on the prayer circle. I'm I'm embarrassed. I, I apologize to all of our listeners, to Beth especially, that I've just completely dropped the ball on the prayer circle. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I was overperforming my expected prayer circle goals because I had two successes this season already and like just a few games. Like I would tweet 45 seconds later, we've got a goal. So maybe I was just overperforming. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see how it evens out over the course of the, the season. Uh, more seriously, though, I, I do feel like it is reading a bit too much into two games where they had opportunities to score goals and they just didn't execute. Yes, there does seem to be like a way that if they shifted things a little bit, maybe they could have more chances. But I, I don't think that teams saying like, oh, the Sounders are really good in transition. Try to make that a thing they're able to do less is not like having figured out the sounders because worst case scenario by and large you just go player for player talent wise like the sounders still have an edge you can't really like game plan the other team being better than you unless you're gonna kill football so yeah we invented killing football exactly well uh it, it does make for an interesting next couple months. Cause I, I, I am, I will admit that I'm a little worried that the Sounders are going to struggle coming out of the break. You know, they're going to be missing Rui Diaz. We don't know what, you know, we don't know what's going to ha- happen with Christian Roldan. It's entirely possible that he's gone for the gold cup too. That would be a pretty big blow. The U S uh, doesn't deserve Christian. They don't. I agree. No. I totally agree. So hopefully he gets to, to stick around here. Uh, even though that would, kind of suck for him i suppose to be not even get to the gold cup i was i was surprised he didn't get called into the nation's league i'll be honest i i I figured he'd be there but uh anyway he's not he's not going to be there uh i i feel better about steph cleveland filling in for steph fry for as long as that needs to be i feel like he's he's very competent i actually think in some ways he might actually be a better passer than uh steph fry uh but we'll see how that how that plays out but yeah, I mean, there's there's reasons to be concerned. I think if you just look at like though to circle back, you look at this eight game stretch. If you're not thrilled with where the Sounders are, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I don't know that they're going to win the Supporter Shield, but they've put themselves in position to be able to do that. I, I do think it's very funny that at the beginning of the year I was saying like I think they'll be solidly in the playoff race until the summer, and then they'll get a boost in the summer, and that seemed that to some people was hopelessly optimistic and it turns out that it wasn't optimistic enough. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this, how this goes. Uh, I, I do think that there's a little bit more pressure on the Sounders to make a signing than maybe there was a couple weeks ago. I don't know if that actually will lead to anything. Um, but I was able to find out today that even though the Sounders aren't going to announce a signing today, they can likely designate Kellen Rowe as their injury replacement player and recoup his salary on their, on their books. So they'll get some cap relief from either Jordy Dellum or Jordan Morris being uh, put on the season ending injury list. So that does give the Sounders a little bit more wiggle room in the summer. My suspicion has always been that they're going to try to sign like a U 22 player and maybe a, a TAM level player. I don't, think anything has dissuaded me from believing that but 
It's going to be interesting. Um, but before we, we end this, I did want to get Beth has some interesting, had an interesting experience. Uh, these last two games, she was the reason she was not on Sounder Heart Twitter was because she was uh, partying with ECS in the unvaccinated or the vaccinated uh, supporters section. What was that like, Beth? I mean, it, like it's been over almost a year and a half since we've had anything like that. You were in the belly of the beast. Tell us about it. Yeah, it was it was the first game back. So the Atlanta game was nerve wracking. I was very anxious the whole day because like I hadn't even gone to like Target without double masking in like six months. So I was like, so I'm supposed to go and stand in a crowd of people right next to me without a mask on. Like, that's what you're telling me to do. Um, but it ended up being, I, f- I felt comfortable in this section. I don't know if that helps anyone else that's trying to decide whether they want to go back um, into a vaccinated section. Um, I felt really comfortable. I had a great time. Um, yeah, there were some group hugs. There's been, a f- there's been several group hugs, which is great. If you haven't experienced one of those recently, I highly suggest it. I haven't. No. Yeah, well, you got to get in a vaccinated section and yeah. find some people that you like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been really fun. Um, I've I've missed like just being around people that you like and that care about you um, in like a fun setting. Um, yeah, I've also I've missed like holding two poles and waving flags and screaming at people. Um, How sore were you after after the oh, Atlanta game? Good lord! Um, I got home because it was an afternoon match. I got home. I laid down on the couch and I did not move for the rest of the day. Um, and then the next day I got out of bed, I laid on the couch and did not move for like a solid four hours. I was exhausted. Um, yeah. And now I have officially re-ruined my knee. So we're just going to, oh. we're just going to breeze past that one. I'll handle that later. Um, but yeah, I think it was worth it. I had a great time. Um, yeah. There's not much like over zoom where you get to like trash talk grown men playing a game and yeah. like, that's a really fun hobby. Um, and so like, I hadn't gotten to do that in a while. And I think I, I, I don't think I was rusty at all. Like, I think I just went back in and I was really good at it. So I did end up quoting like Taylor Swift. Yeah. Like just really on my, on top of my game. So yeah, it was a good time. I enjoyed it. Well, I I'm happy tweeting, but yeah, well, well, I think we can, we can get you back on the Twitter, uh, soon i mean if you keep bringing us poor performances without winning well, I mean, what, what are we gonna do yeah it's what's gonna you're gonna do the galaxy game they're gonna win that galaxy game and then it's gonna be a lot of pressure on me after that uh, you just you gotta get you gotta get on those tweets right you gotta I know. send them off i know i i i know uh tim i i will tell you that you've been doing a great job on the live blog thanks so, it is it's a fun fun thing to do I think it's a nice way to organize your thoughts in game mm-hmm. personally, not to get too uh, inside baseball on people. Yeah. But. If you're I looking do... for tactics, you go to the live blog. If you're looking for me right. saying anything that goes through my head, <laughs> it's, it's Twitter. Yeah. That's, that's how those things are separated. Especially yeah. for writing the post game recaps. I do find doing the live blog as a helpful, like I get the recap done way faster when I also am doing the live blog. Right, because you know exactly probably what you want to put in there, right? Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen that too. Uh, when I when I've had the when I've done those, um, but anyway, it's it was, you know, it's going to be interesting coming out of this break, uh, also because 
you know, the Mariners just announced that they are going to have something like 30,000 capacity coming out of, you know, like in the coming up soon. I assume the Sounders are going to have some sort of similar capacity. Like I, it looks like what the, the Mariners are only limited by the uh, fact that they, I, I think, that, I think the way I'm interpreting this, they're, they're only limited because they want to leave some unvaccinated sections. They want to leave some sections unvaccinated. And so they have to limit capacity in those sections. Let's be honest. They could open it all up and they're not going to sell every seat anyway. Uh, so the Sounders don't have this quite the same problem. I don't think, but my suspicion, and this is just completely me guessing is that when we come out of this break, either the first or second game back, they're going to have the entire lower lower bowl be vaccinated. And then they'll keep some unvaccinated sections up in the, the 300 section. Uh, at least that's what I hope they do. It would be really great if people get to actually use their season tickets uh, going forward. I'm sure the Sounders would like that too. It'd probably be logistically a lot easier for them. I'm, I'm sure they're getting frustrated dealing with this. And it seems like anecdotally, Sounders fans are pretty well vaccinated at this point, and they will be even more vaccinated by the time we, we get out of uh, this break. So, you know, we might actually have something that looks a lot like a normal game coming up. Uh, you know, I, as someone that was sitting in the press box, this has been in the press box for all the games this year. There is a noticeable difference from uh, the, I guess the, the game, whatever it was before LAFC. And then I think in the LAFC game is the first game that they had, drummers but maybe they didn't have the full ecs section but they did have drummers and so they're at least able to keep time for things like boom boom clap that made a big difference but then i just thought you know it was loud it was reasonably loud the last two games and especially after freddie's uh disallowed goal the it was it felt like the old times and you know there's still a lot of empty seats but there was like almost thirteen thousand people there on on sunday I'm looking forward to there being 30,000, 40,000 soon enough. Uh, it does. It's, it's like kind of a, a wild world that we're in that, that we're getting so close to kind of talking about this as if it's in the, in the rear view mirror. But um, anyway, it's been. Yeah. It's been I do think that um, getting more people in the stadium will be good for the, the mad online contingent because yeah. it's, it's really hard to be upset about the result when you're there and you got to experience like, just yeah. being around other people and like letting out all of those emotions. Like it's a lot harder to go home and be like, that wasn't worth it. That was terrible. Because like, you just, you have a great time. Like despite yeah. whatever they're doing on the field, like you're just having a good time with pals. Right. And I think that that's going to probably care. I think there is just like a lot of pent up frustration that hopefully people will uh, have less of coming out of this. And hopefully all of us have, have less of it coming out of this. And, and maybe the Sanders will, go undefeated this year and we'll be laughing about how remember those four points we dropped early in the year and we were so mad about that and we ended up going uh 30 0 and 4 or whatever uh who knows what we'll do <laughs> i'm on board with that yeah yeah i'd be into it yeah um but anyway all right well that's a that's a good place to call this uh thanks for hanging out guys uh i'm jeremiah O'Shan signing off on behalf of tim foss and beth mantle this is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.